Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. We are continuing in our sermon series on the book of Acts, and uh, we are in Acts chapter 5. So uh, I'm going to read for us from there. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 12, and if you're willing and able, would you stand? And I'll read God's word for us this morning. Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 12. It says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Solomon's portico was connected as part of the temple complex. So you had the temple, the actual temple building, that would be like the sanctuary. But then there was a complex around the temple. And Solomon's portico would have been like an area, maybe just across uh, the way here, you know, the grassy area in front of the school. That's how close it was, it was part of the complex. So all these new Christians uh, are gathered in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But as the high priest, but the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, that's a group of religious leaders, Sadducees, Pharisees, the Sadducees in the book of Acts are the ones who tend to give the most resistance to this new church. The Sadducees, filled with jealousy, arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Isn't that interesting? It didn't say all the words of the gospel, all the words of Christianity, all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, I just imagine, like, I don't know why, but I have my mind from Seinfeld, you know, Kramer, when he busts through a door, right? Like, (laughs) look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood 
upon us, which is really ironic because remember when Jesus was crucified, Pilate said, hey, my hands are clean of this. It's not on my hands. And what did they say? Let the blood be upon us and our children. But now they're upset because you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Incredible statement, right? We cannot do what God forbids. We cannot uh, not do what he commands. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people. He was like the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was actually uh, Saul who became Paul, his mentor. Gamaliel stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean, not the same Judas as Judas um, the disciple who betrayed Jesus. Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. It was likely the, what's called the 40 lashes minus one. 39 using a, a leather whipped, um, a leather tail whip on the front and on the back. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is God's word given for you. You may be seated, please. So I went to seminary, which is uh, like grad school to become a pastor. And, and I was there between 2006 and 2009. So I started looking for a job uh, in January of 2009, which was, uh, you know, in my last year of seminary, the heart of the Great Recession. And so you started looking in, in January, nothing, February, March, still nothing, April, we get to May, it's graduation. Still no job. June, July rolls around, it's summertime. August, eight months later, still no job, still no really even um, opportunity for a job. And um, so we were living in, in, in St. Louis. I was, I was applying uh, for jobs and just kind of waiting to hear back. I um, um, was working kind of odds and ends, but there was a library within walking distance of our apartment. And, and I, had, I would walk down to that library every day and just find, they had like DVDs you could, 
uh, rent from the library for free. I think I watched every single DVD uh, out of that library um, because I, I didn't have anything else to do. I was waiting to um, find a job and there was nothing coming. It is probably the closest that I've um, gotten to um, being depressed because I felt like I was at a dead end. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you're at a dead end? What is a dead end? Of course, it's the end of a road, but it's more than that. A, a dead end is a situation in which no more progress or advancement is possible. It's a situation uh, from which there appears to be no escape, a dead end. You remember the Israelites when they were in Egypt and uh, God sends Moses and miraculously brings them out of Egypt, right? Does all these incredible things and finally Pharaoh lets them go and they, they leave Egypt and they start going, wandering uh, through the wilderness and, and uh, as they leave, they, they come up to the Red Sea and they're stuck, right? It's a dead end. The Pharaoh has now changed his mind and he's coming behind them and uh, they turn to Moses and they say, were there not enough graves in Egypt? You had to bring us out here to die what are you doing, God? Where are you? Have you ever felt that way? Like you're at a dead end? If you've ever felt that way or if you feel that way right now, I've got good news for you. This account in Acts um, shows us, this account of the early church speaks to dead ends. It speaks to the reality of dead ends and the resurrection of dead ends, and the rejoicing of dead ends. So there's a sermon outline on the inside cover of the bulletin. If you want to use that to fill it out, take notes, um, uh, you can, or if you just want to listen, that's good uh, too. The first thing that we see in these verses is the reality of dead ends. If you've never experienced a dead end in your life, then you probably means you just haven't lived long enough. Dead ends are a reality. And there are several in this passage. Look again at verse 16. The people were flocking to the apostles, even for the chance that Peter's shadow might pass over them. It, it reminds us of when uh, in Jesus, right, when people were flocking to him and crowding around him, and there was a woman who said, if, if I could just touch the, the hem of his garment, I will be made well says that the people were gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. They brought the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. It was like a COVID hospital, right? There were people everywhere and no, no room. All these sick people uh, just crowded everywhere. Uh, and notice that there's physical sickness and there's spiritual sickness. Um, you can feel like you are a dead end, at a dead end physically, that, that woman who pressed through the crowds to, to touch Jesus' cloak, it's always struck me what it said about her. In Mark 5, it, it says, she had suffered much under many physicians, and she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She was at a dead end. There was nothing left for her. Have you ever been at a dead end physically? I know some of you have. I know some of you are right now. But if not physically, 
Then what about spiritually? I doubt any of you have been oppressed by a demon, but have you ever felt spiritually dry? Have you ever felt spiritually cold to the things of God? Have you ever been emotionally depressed? A friend of mine who uh, has been a Christian for decades um, has been going through a dead-end situation for almost a year now, and he texted me this. He said, I have no interest in or desire for the future. There's nothing that is enjoyable, only unwanted consuming thoughts, nightmares, shame, and self-hate. It's difficult to concentrate on anything, even reading the Bible. I do pray a lot, short prayers mostly. I get up and go to work, but every minute is a minute that feels more meaningless to me, lonely and shameful. Have you ever felt that way? Who was most attracted to the early church? It was the sick, the oppressed, those who were at a dead end. If that's you this morning, please know that you are not alone in your reality. I'm really glad that you're here. You came to the right place. But there's another dead end in this passage, not just physical or spiritual. Um, it's a situation from which there seemed no escape. The religious authorities were filled with jealousy, and it says they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Think about it. There's nothing more dead end than the sound of a prison door slamming shut behind you and locking. Um, Persecution was a reality for the early church, and it has been a reality for the followers of Jesus for 2,000 years. Um, 17 missionaries are being held hostage right now by a gang in Haiti. Um, they're threatening to kill them if the ransom is not paid. And that really illustrates the ultimate dead end, doesn't it? Um, the religious leaders wanted to kill the apostles. Death is the ultimate dead end. I found this picture this week that I thought was kind of funny. Um, it's so true, right? Death is the one thing everyone must face and no one can escape. It's a reality that can be denied, uh, that cannot be denied. It can be ignored, but it cannot be avoided. And COVID has rubbed our noses in our mortality, hasn't it? It's reminded us of this, this dead end. We, we feel at times like we are at a dead end. So, man, is this kind of a downer sermon or what? <laughs> if, uh, if you brought a friend here for the first time, just lean over them and tell them, it's not always like this. Um, no, no, it's, it's good, right? It's, we need to deal with the reality of our dead ends. I had the chance to take my kids to the Creation Museum uh, up in Kentucky. It's fabulous. And... Uh, um, they, uh, you know, they, they, they tell the story of creation and the story of the Bible, and um, they, they talk about, you know, Adam and Eve and the fall and uh, the flood and then um, Jesus. And, and, but uh, the, the part that struck me the most was we, we were walking through and we, we turned a corner and came into this hallway, and the, this section was dedicated to the curse, the, re, the results of Adam and Eve's disobedience and the results of sin on our world. And, uh, and as you, you got into this hallway, it got dark, and there were large black and white pictures on one side that showed uh, images, examples of 
uh, brokenness from sin. There was the, the twin towers with smoke pouring out. There were you know, pictures of uh, hungry children and, and uh, atrocities that had been done. Uh, on the other side of the hallway, there was this movie, this black and white movie that was uh, kind of um, uh, uh, blinking and going off that was showing uh, video clips of, of things, uh, examples of sin and brokenness in our world. And, and I walked in, I got in the hallway and it just hit me. I was like, oh, oh. And, and I was the first one in, so I thought, I mean, you know, my kids um, were coming uh, behind me and I almost wanted to stop and, and I thought, this is gonna be too much for them. Um, this is gonna overwhelm them. But then I realized, no, no, this is good. This is reality, right? They, they need to see the brokenness and the sin because when we walked out of that hallway, what were, what were we ready for? We were ready for someone to come and heal it, right? Someone to come and, and, and make it new, to bring life to those dead things. We need to feel the weight of our plight. So are you in a dead-end job? Are you in a dead-end marriage? Are you at a dead-end in your parenting? Are you at a dead-end with a family member or a friend? Are you at a dead-end financially? Do you feel like you're at a dead-end with God? Where do you feel hopeless? Where do you wonder if there is any escape? You see, the, the good news isn't good if the bad news isn't bad. Right? You have to own the bad news before you can receive the good news. And so what is then the good news? The good news is that God resurrects dead ends. God resurrects dead ends. God provides hope in hopeless situations. One, one commentator I read said that there are no locked doors in the kingdom of God. Or another way we could say it is there are no ultimate dead ends in the kingdom of God. And the reason why there are no ultimate dead ends in the kingdom of God is because our God is not dead, he is alive. Amen? How do we see that in the text? What, what happened when the apostles were put in prison? An angel of the Lord came and opened up the prison doors and brought them out, which is really ironic because the Sadducees who put them in prison didn't believe in angels and didn't believe in the resurrection. <laughs> and so an angel comes and rescues uh, the apostles and tells them what? The angel tells them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Life is used here as a synonym for Christianity. All the words of this life. Jesus said, what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life, not death. Life. It's fascinating what happens. The, the religious leaders are so angered by what the apostles say that they want to kill them. And, uh, um, but a man named Gamaliel, Pharisee, stands up, and, uh, and he's so respected by the people that they listen to him. And he says, listen, get, put them in outside, and um, uh, listen, here's the deal. He gives them a history lesson. He says, there have been people in the past like this. There was Theodos, and he rose up, and 400 people followed him, but then he died, and they all dispersed. There's this guy named Judas who also led a rebellion. 
And people started to follow him, and he died, and they also dispersed. The movement ended. Do you see what he's saying? Right? That uh, there's a guy, followers, dies, movement's over. Guy, followers, dies, movement's over. So with Jesus, if this is just a man thing, a man-made thing, then it's going to fail, just like it did. But if it's of God, then it won't fail. You won't be able to do anything. You might even be found opposing him. What's fascinating about reading this for us is that we know the answer to what he said, don't we? We know what happened, that um, now there are Christians in every corner of the world because Jesus isn't dead, he's alive, right? His death didn't lead to the end of the movement. Um, His death led to resurrection uh, and to what we see uh, today. So... We know um, it's the resurrection, right? It's the resurrection that um, brings dead things to life. Um, it's interesting. There, there are a lot of sermons in Acts. And when you compare them all, uh, the gospel message that was preached doesn't really change much. There's this kind of one kind of apostolic gospel message that is preached throughout the book of Acts. Jesus died. Jesus rose. He ascended back to the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit. He's coming again. So repent and believe. Right? He died. He rose. He ascended. He gave the Holy Spirit. He's coming again. Repent and believe. That's kind of the message that is said over and over again in the book of Acts. And you see it here in our passage. What does Peter say? He says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. That phrase there, hanging him on a tree, might sound kind of strange. Um, What is is going on there? That's a strange way to refer to the cross. Well, it's a reference that Peter's making to Deuteronomy 21 in the Old Testament. It says there, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he's put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. Peter is saying it it looked like Jesus on the tree, on the cross, it looked like Jesus was cursed by God. The, The cross looked like the ultimate dead end from which there was no Escape, But God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. Later on in Galatians, Paul picks this theme up. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus took the curse of our sin upon himself. And the resurrection is the proof that God accepted his sacrifice. It is the proof that God accepted Um, what he did, his death. It was God's plan all along. Death could not stop him. Um, What looked like a dead end became the means by which God brought life to the world. So for the Christian, there are no ultimate dead ends because we follow a risen Savior who by the power of the Holy Spirit brings dead things to life. Um, there was a couple, and um, they, were, uh, they, they were really going through a hard time in their marriage. And 
because of some things that, um, that they had both done, um, the, uh, the woman was very cold and hard and um, had really kind of almost given up hope. But the man, as he was going through counseling, God, God began to soften him and open his eyes. And he began to experience the gospel and, and actually began to change. And, and the, the woman was noticing this, but she was still very reluctant and very, you know, uh, I'm not so sure about this. And so she was talking with her counselor and her counselor said to her, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in the resurrection? She said, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian, of course, I, I believe in the resurrection. He said, so let me get this straight. You believe that God can bring a dead man to life in order to save you, but you don't believe that he can bring your marriage back to life. And in, in that little moment, a light bulb started to go off inside of her. She began to hope just a little bit, right? Because she realized that we follow a risen Savior who can bring dead things to life. So what does that mean then for the broken realities that we find ourselves in today? What does it mean? Does it mean that God always completely heals and restores the dead ends in our lives? Does he always do it completely? You know, the passage started by saying, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And everyone who came was healed. These things were regularly done, and, and everyone who came was healed. Have you ever wondered, why was it regular back then, but it doesn't seem to be regular today? Why don't we regularly see miracles taking place? Well, the reason is because the signs and the miracles that were done by the apostles were given to validate the gospel message at this critical point in the church's history. The New Testament was still being written, and healings like this confirmed the apostles' teaching. Once the New Testament was finished and written, and there were no more apostles, there was no more need for these miraculous confirmational signs. So today, does God still work miracles? Does God still heal? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. Does he do so in the same way he did in the book of Acts? No. Not like he did in the book of Acts. And here's something good to remember even about those people, those who came to the apostles, even to Jesus, right? Those who were healed in the New Testament. What eventually happened to them? They all died, right? They eventually got sick again and died. So even, even their healing, as miraculous as it was, was still temporary. So can God heal your dead end? Can he restore any broken reality in your life? Absolutely. You should pray for him to do that. You should ask him to do that. You should believe that he can do that. But also realize that in his sovereign wisdom, he may not do it in this life. He may choose not to fix that broken thing in your life this side of heaven. But it will one day be healed. If not in this life, then in the life to come. There are people who are healed of cancer. And there are people who are not. 
There are marriages that are restored, and there are marriages that end in divorce. There are uh, times when depression lifts and times when it doesn't. But ultimately, our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in the life to come. Think about it. What's the worst possible thing that could happen to you? What's the worst possible thing that could happen to you? Death, right? Dying. That dead end has already been taken care of by Jesus, right? Um, There are no ultimate dead ends for the Christian because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will one day restore and heal and make everything new. Sometimes he gives us a taste of it in this life. Sometimes we don't know why. In his kindness, he allows us to just get a taste of it. But ultimately, our hope is in the full glory that will one day be revealed. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, listen, if, if in Christ we have hope only in this life, if that's your greatest hope is getting healed in this life, we are, uh, are of all people most to be pitied. Our ultimate hope is in the perfect life to come. And believing that allows us to go through temporary dead ends in this life with joy. That's the last point, the rejoicing of dead ends. That sounds really strange, right? How can dead ends and rejoicing go together? Look again at the end of Acts 5. It says, then the apostles, after being beaten, left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The apostles believed that the greatest honor, the greatest blessing that God could bestow upon them was to make them more like Jesus. That was the greatest honor and blessing that they could receive, to be made more like Jesus. And the way of Jesus was suffering first, then glory. Author Paul Miller calls it the J-curve. Right? To, if we're to follow Jesus, we must first follow him down and then be raised up. Sometimes God miraculously heals our dead ends. But more often than not, do you know what he does? He takes that dead end and he sovereignly uses it in your life to make you more like Jesus. That's why Paul said in Romans 5, what did he say? He said, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That that glory that's one day going to come, we rejoice in that. But not only in what's coming, but we rejoice in our sufferings now. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I've seen this in so many of you, rejoicing in your sufferings. Do you know who one of my heroes of the church is? Jackie Frazee. I don't know if you know Jackie Frazee. If you don't, you should. Um, She, uh, Jackie um, is a widow in our church and she suffers terribly from pain. Her, Her back, is, um, has been messed up for a long time, and she's had surgery after surgery and procedure after procedure, trying things to make it better. She told me that um, out, of, out of 10, she lives her life constantly at a seven, pain-wise. Just all the time, her, her life is a seven out of 10, pain. But do you know what? When you encounter Jackie, do you know what you find? 
She's so joyful. She serves the deacons of our church. And every single week, uh, and especially when I'm preaching, she, she emails me and says, Brandon, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God's going to use you. And, and she checks up on me during the week and asks about how we're doing and how my family's doing. You see, God hasn't healed her dead end yet. But in the meantime, he's making her more like Christ and blessing everyone around her. How about you? What does God want to do with you in your dead end? He wants to make you more like Jesus. I looked up the etymology of, of dead end this week. Right, where did it come from? When, when was it first used? And um, people say the first use of that phrase was in the 1880s. And they used it to refer to water pipes that were closed at one end. Right? So uh, water would flow and then stop. It would be a dead end, dead water. Do you know what? By the power of the Holy Spirit, God can take our dead ends and open them up and let living water come out of them. Living water that blesses other people, um, flows out of us in joy, brings life. So what dead end are you facing today? Where are you feeling hopeless? Where do you feel like there is no escape? Will you bring it to Jesus this morning? He can heal it. He can restore it. He can bring dead things to life. He might work a miracle this morning. But our hope rests in the fact that the greatest miracle has already happened. Christ is risen from the dead. One day he will raise us too. Whatever he doesn't fix now, he's promised that he will fix. So in the meantime, we can rejoice. No matter what dead end we find ourselves in, he is good. He is faithful. And he is with us. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.